Hello and welcome to the Dialogue Sessions, a podcast of A Living Letter Ministries. Today, Drew Berryessa and I will be discussing and paying tribute to a family member in the faith, Cy Rogers. We invite you into our conversation and hope that you are blessed. Uh, so we're going to take some time today to talk about um, and remember Cy mm-hmm. and his impact and his influence on our field of ministry and on the church. Yes. And uh, to share some memories and to talk about why this is a hugely significant thing for the church that yes. this man of God is no longer with us. Yes. So yeah, that's what I th- that's what we thought we could talk about today. Yeah, a lot has changed since mm-hmm. when he first started ministry up until now, and um, it's a lot to process. Just thinking through all the changes, even in a lot of changes in that short amount of time that have impacted yeah. all of us. Um, but he passed away. Was it what date was that? We're last week, bl- this week. Yeah, it was last week. Okay. I believe last Monday morning or last Sunday. I can't. I can't quite remember. But just recently passed. Right. And um, yeah, the thing about Sai that I think I always admired, not first and foremost, but like one of the aspects that I really admired is he always seemed to be ahead of the curve of of what was changing in culture and what was changing in how the church responds to these issues. And he always seemed to be like two steps ahead of the rest of us, knowing how to adjust his message, knowing how to adjust his position and speak to these issues with favor and clarity. For sure. And so, I mean, you're absolutely right. A lot has changed in this field of ministry since he started ministry was almost 35, 40 years ago. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been doing redemptive ministry? When did you start? So I got involved in Portland Fellowships ministry in 1999. So now it's 21 years. So when you were, um, when you first started this ministry was, I mean, how did you connect with Cy or what was his position back then? So Cy was already speaking, uh, internationally at that point. He had, uh, gone from being the, the president of Exodus International to moving to Singapore to start and found one of the first sexual redemption ministries in all of Asia. And then from that point, he had begun, he moved to New Zealand and began traveling the world and speaking on these issues. And he'd always been speaking on these issues since the time that he first left a trans uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And so I met him before we started at Portland Fellowship we were, I was volunteering in the first couple months of our marriage and Susan and I went to the PF retreat and Cy had actually come to speak at the retreat. And so we were getting to know him for the first time at the retreat where this is a man that would speak to tens of thousands of people in a crowd. Like he, he was known and, and favored among some of the largest mega churches in the, in the world. He spoke to venues that were in the tens of thousands and he took the time to a very little financial gain to mm-hmm. come and speak to 60 people on the Oregon coast mm-hmm. for a that's weekend. Awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. For me, when I, when I first started hearing him speak, I felt like my mind was blown of just the way that he was able to string together revelation uh, of God's character and the way that he works redemptively but do it in such a humorous and entertaining and fast paced. Engaging. Way. Yeah, totally engaging. 
when when that retreat ended, Susan and I had the job of driving him back to Portland to go to the airport. And that two-hour drive was full of the most rich conversation that I, I, I think that I've ever had. And when we dropped him off and he kind of jumped out of the car and grabbed his bag. And I remember when he left our car, just thinking like, what just happened? Like, who did I just meet? And, and who did I just spend time with? And, you know, as is often the case for me, I, I have these dynamic experiences. I think, well, that was fun. That was probably never going to happen again. And then in 2005, when we hosted him at Portland fellowship for a conference, um, as it turned out, Susan and I hosted him in our apartment for the entire weekend that he That's was there. Cool. And it was... That's super cool. I mean, you, you talk about an international speaker who knows all the big wigs and, I mean, gets paid thousands of dollars or had been getting paid thousands of dollars to travel. And he would rather be in the apartment of some newlyweds at a little ministry in Portland, Oregon and watching right. movies and sharing conversation than in a hotel room. I mean, it really, the humility and the engagement and presentness of Cy Rogers really, it, it shaped the way that I, that I do public ministry, mm. honestly. I mean, I think that just spending those, those times with him and we, we had the chance to host him multiple times at Portland fellowship. And so, um, and he was the same every time. He just, he was so relational, so present, so humble, so engaging, so mm-hmm. personable. And that really, that really was such a huge uh, shaping way, uh, formative experience for how I approach ministry when I go and I speak, because he really taught me the power of presence. Yeah. And you were mentioning this, I was ahead of the curve because I remember meeting him as well and just kind of gleaning off the conversations that you guys were having um, during our dinner time. But you said he was two steps ahead of the curve. And the reason why I believe was because he was so attuned to the Holy Spirit Yeah, that he just was listening when the Lord said, move, go, stay. Like he was just, he was just with it. And so having that connection with the Holy Ghost in, in such purity was, I think, what gave him that discernment. I agree. Yeah, Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I think that even listening when he would open up and talk about his relationship with the Holy Spirit and Mm -hmm. with his interactions with God, they were so inspiring and so, so sometimes otherworldly. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I mean, just he, he was a very otherworldly person. Yeah. That's a good word. Um, At least from how we all knew him. I'm sure that his wife and daughter would be like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But but I mean, he was, he, he really had a way of communicating the, the heart and the movement and the, the thought process of God in a way that you only get if you know him intimately. Right. So you jump into this type of ministry in 1999, was it 1999? Yeah, 1999. Okay. What was so um, dynamic and fresh about what he taught then? What was his ministry? What was his focus? How did he communicate? I think one of the things that I immediately go to when you ask that question was there was there was a portion of one of his teachings where he talked about how different people in different disciplines would approach the same problem, where he talked about, like, if a pastor heard your problem, he'd like, okay, well, let's get some prayer and some fasting. And then he said, but if you're a social worker, you might say this, or if you're a physician, you might say this. And and so what that, what that really showed was that Cy 
had a holistic view of ministry well before the rest of us did. Like he, he really looked at all aspects of humanity and their engagement um, and, and how it affects discipleship and how it affects healing. And I mean, you can see that in his, in, in his uh, video teachings on the, like the nine factors of what causes um, sexual brokenness. And then the nine factors for healing nine redemptive principles, because it was all integrated about the body, the soul and the spirit mm-hmm. and emotions. And yeah. yeah. And emotions, part of that soul dynamic of just the, you know, the, the relationships and the, the family of origin and the culture. And, and I mean, he really had a way of looking beyond just what a lot of ministry looks at where it's like, okay, here's what the word of God says. Here's how you're obedient. Here's what the Holy spirit says to your spirit. And he really looked at everything like the full spectrum of what it is to be human and what it is to be in relationship with God and to steward your own life. And he found redemptive principles in all of it. And I think that that really began to shape and curve the way that ministry worked well before um, others, even in, in not in this field of ministry, but just in, in care and in pastoral care. Yeah. Christian care. Yeah. Where there was a permission to bring in psychological realities or even biological realities without it threatening the spiritual. Well, and specifically, specifically with like the whole, you know, same sex attraction, X game ministry movement. Like Cy was very much about sexual brokenness. His, you know, his background was that he was, uh, transgendered for, I don't know how many years, but, but he, when he taught, he, I feel like the culture of the ministry world at that time was very isolating to like, this is for, you know, same sex attracted people. And let's, you know, we have ministries just specifically for them. And this is an issue that is outside of other issues. And it was so isolating. And the way that Sai taught, it spoke to all things, right. yeah. not just same sex attraction, you know, not just that, but, but all of humanity in our brokenness and all, I mean, like he made it so understandable and so relatable because he spoke exactly what you're saying about the humanity of it like he he just he broke through all that and he said this is what you know brokenness looks like that's good this is what healing in brokenness looks like yeah 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 so does um because you you mentioned about his transgender background tell us a little bit about his testimony and and what the lord did well i'll do it in a in a in a real like ten thousand foot view because i think that you know, for, for anyone who wants to know about Sai, I would really encourage you to get on YouTube and look up his videos, look up uh, stories of his testimony, get the full view of it. But Sai um, came from a broken home. His mom was killed in a drunk driving accident when he was a child. He was molested when he was a child. And that led to uh, years of sexual confusion and brokenness. He entered a gay identity back while entering into the military into, I think, I can't remember if he's in the Navy or the army, or the, yeah, the Navy. And from that, just kind of the progression of, as he, he told it, as he told it, that each time he would go deeper, it'd be like, it didn't fix the problem. So it would, you know, it's like maybe being a gay man wasn't the issue. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be a man. So he, he began transitioning into um, living as a woman and lived as a woman for a year and a half waiting for a sex change at Johns Hopkins University. What um, year? About when was this? It was in the 70s. Yeah, so and this is this is like, that wasn't normal or part of the culture back then. 
Well, we have to remember that the 70s was a very dynamic time for gay rights and gay identity. That's oh, when, that's right. Um, right, the APA removed homosexuality out of the DSS, DSM, and there was a lot of political activism, and the movement for transgender surgeries were really beginning to expand in that time. Not that it was as a culturally acceptable and mainstream as it is today, but it was there. Mm -hmm. And so as he was preparing for that, waiting for that, um, the Lord encountered him and led him to a point of surrender. And he didn't even know what that surrender might mean. But within a few, I believe, weeks, uh, he was getting ready for work. And the director of the sex change clinic from Johns Hopkins University announced the closure of that clinic, that they would no longer be treating an emotional relational problem through surgery. Yeah. And, you know, he la when you when you hear him tell his story, he laughs and he says, gosh, God, I was looking for a sign and you shut the whole program down for me, you know, and, <laughs> and literally from that point forward, had that intuitive understanding that if God didn't want him to be a woman, that meant that he was supposed to be a man. Yeah. And he pursued healing. And he makes that, I remember the one of the funniest jokes that he said, he was like Abraham with the knife about, yeah, to, yeah. about like on the altar. They, yeah, and like then the they, angel of the Lord came and shut down John Hopkins. Right, right. <laughs> he said it, he said that it's not exactly how it went, but when his life gets made into musical theater, it'll make a great scene. <laughs> yes, I remember. That's hilarious. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's that's so indicative of the way that he communicated these things because it was like a very dynamic thing. But I mean, it it's it's such a it's such a powerful story that from that point of surrender, that really marked his life forward mm -hmm. of being a man of surrendering to to the God who proved to be better. And that, I think, that's what marked the rest of his ministry moving yeah. forward is just that that place of surrender. And so, yeah, yeah, that's that's a bit of his story. Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, I remember hearing his testimony. It was powerful and just a really powerful story how God showed up for him in such miraculous ways. Yeah. It was as if God was showing him how intimately um, involved he was in his life. And so I felt like that was the way the Lord wooed him. One of the things that I found refreshing was that he used terminology that you don't normally use in church, like mm -hmm. masturbation or, well, did he say that wasn't one of his teachings? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He talked about sexual sin, but he yeah. talked about it in such a way where it, it removed the shame aspect and brought practical, yeah. like, like practical healing to it. Not yeah. only just spiritual healing, but practical healing. And, and that teaching in particular, the one on forgiveness, he, his examples, the what he gave was like, I, I could take the example and like, Oh, that's what forgiveness is. Right. Or, Oh, that's what self-control is. And the specific example that he gave for his father was um, he was taking out the trash. I don't remember the yeah, details. Yeah. Do you know the details of that that story? Yeah. yeah, there was a they were he and his wife were visiting with his father and stepmother and they had traveled across the world to be there or something and, and they were settling down for the night and then at one point uh, his dad said, Hey Sai some firewood and you know it's gonna be a cold evening and Sai's like, Sure dad, live to serve and then he went out and grumbled about it uh -huh. you know, under his breath. And then the next morning, he was like, hey, Sai, could you take the trash out? You know, and he's like, okay, dad, you know, and he, he's taking the trash out. He's like, 
you know, travel across the world to come and, you know, do, you know, make it a you know, slave, blah, 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 blah. And as he's griping about this, his wife looked at him and she said, so, uh, you got a lot of stuff with your dad or something. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, so, so I was like, oh, you noticed that? She goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those reactions. About that. Yeah, those reactions, um, yeah. spoke to the stuff he was harboring in his hat, in his heart that was unresolved. Yeah. Buried offenses. Yeah. Right? Un- untended wounds that were never resolved because it's that, that thing of how dare you ask anything of me when you abandoned me. Right. You're supposed you know? to be repaying or, rec- you know, recompensing for the, right. the sins you've done against me, the offenses you've done. Right. Pay me back. Pay me back. Yeah. And, and that's his yeah. examples of just relationally how that played out, where you can convince yourself that you've done the good Christian thing and intellectually forgiven someone. Right. You can take out the trash, the right. actions of it. Right. But it's the heart. But it's the heart. And the heart always tells us what's actually going on because it's like that offense, it was so offensive for his father to ask him to do something because there was all this hurt and pain that hadn't been resolved. And I, and I love when he continues the story because he's like, you know, the Lord saying, you have not forgiven your father. And he's like, have to. And the Lord's like, have not. And mm-hmm. then, have to. And then he jokes about how he was, you know, later in the shower and all of a sudden the Lord, you know, have not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this... Uh, the way he described it of just the Lord continuing to pester him like a, and these are his words in the teaching, like a, like probing a zit or a boil, just getting it to the surface. Mm, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, just one more time of the Lord saying, you have not forgiven your father. And then Sai busting open his heart with like, well, why should I? Right. You know, he abandoned me when I needed him most and all this stuff and just revealing the pain because that was one of the things that was so powerful about that teaching was that underneath the anger was the pain. Right. And that was what the Lord was trying to get to was the pain was the hurt was the abandoned little boy that was still in there mm-hmm. hiding under all this management. And so I think that that teaching was so incredibly powerful for me just to understand like, what what is going on in my own heart and what are the places that there are still those 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 silos of offense that were there that needed to be dealt with and that the offense wasn't really the problem right i think i think that's something in our church culture that we don't do a great job at like where we see people acting in offense and we want to correct the behavior but we don't understand that there's pain underneath that offense and the way Sai communicated it it pushed the offense to the side. It was just the symptom. It wasn't the real issue. Absolutely. And dealing with the pain underneath the offense was really what the heart of God was. Right. And so I, I remember that teaching had way more mileage in it for me than just forgiveness. Yes, it that, did. That concept of looking beyond the what to see the why has been so instructive for me. And, and the way for me that too, I, the exact same thing. I've just realized a lot of my anger was just a disguise for pain and woundedness and unsurrendered parts of my heart that I was scared to open up to the Lord for healing about. And so, yeah, I I agree with you. That was a really powerful teaching moment for me as well. Forgiveness is you should, you, you are commanded to, and yes, we're commanded to, but it's more of, like you said, behavior modification. It's just like do the act of forgiveness 
And that only goes so far if you actually haven't done the work of healing. Yeah, because I've been hammered, you know, through Bible studies, books, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. But that's easier said than done. Yeah. And, and I that, think size teaching was was the first time where it made it real for me. Yeah. Yeah. It really took it out of behavior and out of theology and brought it into reality and healing. And that's mm-hmm. that's what I what I think all of his teachings did for me was it it always brought it out of the behavioral, out of the out of the intellectual, out of the whatever it was and brought it into a level of healing to the soul. That was so important. You said he was ahead of the curve. Can you give me an example of what that looked like? Yeah. I think that one example of what that looked like in the, in the last several years. Uh Um, and I know Sai took some criticism on this because in the last several years, there was a noticeable shift in the way that he said and, and, and communicated, um, on a marketing level or even just like a surface level, some of his teachings that didn't use maybe some of the terms that the church had been used to using in sexual redemption ministry. And instead, like you talked about, it it went very, very broad into relational brokenness and um, like just talking about brokenness rather than specific like homosexuality and, you know, you know, this, this and that. And you know, people get a lot of criticism when they start avoiding the term homosexuality because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of us in the church are like, we want to be really clear about what sin is and what we're talking about. But the reason why I think Sai was ahead of the curve on that is because there's so much more to the brokenness than just heterosexuality, air quote. Right, like you said, the symptoms of, of, our, of our woundedness. Well, and not just that. It was... I mean, we live in a time now where there's like over 35 sexual orientation designations. It is no longer just homosexual, bisexual, gay, lesbian, trans. Right. It's like 9,000 different designations. Yeah. And I know that, you know, if if someone's talking specifically about homosexuality and you're one of those other 35 designations, it can be really easy to shut your heart and just your mind off. Yeah, because yeah, this isn't, my, I'm not a homosexual. This isn't what I'm dealing with. But when you just talk about brokenness in the soul and just the commonality that is shared in humanity, it it extended his message beyond just one segment. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like he was really very wise um, that his message will outlive him. Right. That's good. It's going to be relevant to generations to come because it wasn't just marketed for one brokenness. I heard Joyce Meyer once. She was she had like a seminar on humility or something like that. Mm. And no one was interested in it because <laughs> the yep. people that need to be humbled are not going to go to a seminar about humility. No. So she changed the name to, you know, how to go something, how to get gain power, how to be a powerful Christian or something like right. that. And kind of took, out, took right? out the principle and, and it was popular after that. And I, and I think that that's what we call that. You and I call that Christian Kung Fu. Yep, we do. Well, the Bible says to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And I think that's a way to Christian Kung Fu people mm-hmm. um, that, like you said, it makes the message broader and it can reach a wider audience. Yeah. I mean, it takes away those objections. And I think I've heard Joyce Meyer talk about that before, mm-hmm. like that she used exactly the same teaching. 
she just took out the words that would create barriers for people who actually needed the message. That's, yeah, and I think that's what you're saying that Sai did towards mm -hmm. the end of his life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's also one of those real formative things of like, as we, as the church move forward, how do we do that? How do we remove the barriers. unnecessary mm -hmm. yeah, barriers? And, you know, there are many in the church that feel threatened by that because it, it's not as quote clear, but I mean, I know the Holy Spirit has worked in my life in 8,000 different ways to get past my defenses like in particular, I remember there was a time where the Lord was trying to tell me that I needed to forgive someone, but he didn't use the word forgive mm. because Christian I Kung had, Fu you. He Christian Kung Fu'd me because <laughs> I I had so much hurt and so much legitimate offense and yeah. so much legitimate pain to this person that the Lord just simply said, You just need to understand they're not gonna change. Mm. And if you can release them of changing and for Ooh, me, oh, that's good. Right. He didn't say you better forgive them. No, he didn't say that at all. He said you need to you need to release them from your expectation that they change. Mm. Because in my heart and mind, and I hadn't put this together until months later, their change is what they owed me. They owed me different behavior because mm -hmm. their behavior had hurt me and their choices had hurt me and they owed me differently. Yeah, pay me back me back and that's the language of unforgiveness right and so when the lord was like hey you just need to release them from that expectation of changing that was forgiveness and it was completely marketed in a way that got past my defenses that's so good and helped me embrace the the principle and the reality of what it was and i feel like more than anything else that's how that's that's one of the ways cy rogers was always ahead of the curve mm. Because yeah, he really was good. always finding ways to bring the message of God to people who would otherwise not want it. Right. And I think that, you know, in some of his, like, you know, you look at his biography and you see that he traveled in a musical group through gay clubs and punk clubs in Europe and Asia and led people to the Lord by presenting the gospel through a rock opera. Now, I don't even know how that works. <laughs> Can't even imagine it. Can't even imagine it. But that was that was one of the ways the Lord used this man was he he got past defenses. So that's 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 what I meant by he was always ahead of the curve. Cy Rogers used to talk about his residue. Yeah. Can you, can you elaborate on on to give people a picture of what he meant by residue of himself? Again, one of the things about Cy Rogers is that he always said it. He's like, there's no there was no question about what his background was because he, he had a particular affect way of speaking, way of, you know, communicating that, um, that he called his residue. And the way that he explained it is that if someone had grown up in Germany, learning only German as a language and lived there for the first part of their life and then moved to the United States and then learned English and assimilated to the culture, they'd probably still speak with an accent mm. because that is imprinted on them in their formation. Mm -hmm. And he said, basically his residue was his, his accent. Like it's like that German accent. And then he would always make the joke right on the heels of explaining that because there are so many people who look at people who come out of trans backgrounds or homosexual backgrounds or sexual brokenness backgrounds and they maybe see mannerism or personality or affect and they judge it 
as if that's something to be repented of and it's just an accent. Right. A lot of the times it's just an accent. For sure. It's residue. Right. So he would call that his residue, you know, and then he'd say, you overlook my residue, I'll overlook yours. And, and it's such a, he said it was such a snarky, funny, disarming way of helping us all realize we all have stuff we carry from our histories. Mm -hmm. And, it's not the kindness of the Lord to reject or judge anyone for their history or the residue they might carry or their accent from their upbringing. Um, we all have it. Yeah. Some of ours are just more socially acceptable in the church than others. Absolutely. And it also points to our own hearts if we're judging or if we're dismissing someone because they don't look as clean as we think they should within the church, put together right. or happy, shiny. And um, it puts a spotlight on our own hearts, our criticisms and our own judgments. Absolutely. When you heard him pass away, what'd you feel? What'd you think? What was that process for you grieving? Well, so a couple of weeks ago, I had seen on Facebook um, that Christine Snaringer, his longtime manager, ministry partner and friend had posted that um, he, he was struggling with kidney cancer. And that had reached a point where they were sharing. And, you know, as public as I was, there was a lot of things like appropriately that he didn't share, I'm sure, because I didn't even know. I I mean, we weren't, I knew Cy and we were colleagues in ministry, but like we didn't have a, a close relationship, but, um, but it shocked me to hear that he had been sick because you know, he, he hadn't, to the masses, he hadn't shared that. And so when we heard that, you know, of course we, we prayed and we, we, you know, I was going to write him a note and be like, Hey, I'm praying for you. And this is what you've meant to my life. But you know, life got really busy and then I didn't. And then last week, um, on Monday woke up to the news and, um, it was just very sad you know, I feel I feel the loss of this man in our world and, and for the church. Um, so I had a way, and you can see this on a lot of the tributes that are out there online, he had a way of making every person he encountered feel like they were one of the most important people to him. And he had a way of seeing and speaking truth and speaking identity to people. Um when Suze and I were talking about whether or not to leave the ministry of Portland fellowship and do the speaking ministry, he was one of the first people we reached out to. And he, he gave me so much encouragement that wasn't, it wasn't generic encouragement. It was specific to who I was and who he knew us to be. Um, he spoke so much, uh, life and, and commissioning and calling into my life. And, you know, for, for those of us in this field of ministry, getting a blessing from Cy Rogers was like a Catholic getting a blessing from the Pope. I mean, it just, there's just, I don't know that there's a better analogy. He said he was such a father to the gener this generation in this field of ministry. And so, um, so it was a huge loss, I think as well in this field of ministry, it's a difficult field and there's not a lot of people that you can look at Mm -mm. that have remained faithful to the Mm -hmm. end. And Cy was one. Right. 
And as I'm grateful for his life. I'm grateful for the faithfulness of his life, the, the, the testimony of his life. And I wish there had been a few more years of it. Yeah. Um, he was a wonderful man. Yeah. And a wonderful man of God. Um, and so, you know, I spent a couple days where just thinking about his life and thinking about his impact on my life and his teachings and thinking about um, the loss for his wife and kids. And I was shocked at kind of just the moments of just crying that I had um, and grieving, grieving sigh. Um, and yet also just so glad for him. He's with his, he's with his savior. Yeah. Uh, he's with the God that he spent 40 years of his life proclaiming to the ends of the earth. And that's pretty amazing. It is amazing. What do you think the church could take away from his life? Well, I feel really unqualified to say anything because I didn't know him like as well as many other people did. But from what I knew of him and for, for what I gleaned from him, I think one of the things that I could say the church really needs to understand from Sai is that he was real proof of the scripture that, that God takes the simple things, the, the less noble things, and exalts them over the higher things. I mean, he came from a broken background. He had a degree in, I believe, graphic design. And he was a transsexual, sexually abused, promiscuous, transsexual, with a broken family. And God raised him up to be one of the generals of the kingdom of God in this generation. With more wisdom and more revelation to the scriptures and to God's character, then I would say probably the majority of seminary graduates. Um, he was amazing. Yeah. And he was amazing because God in him was amazing. And every, from all intents and purposes, he gave his whole life to the Lord and God raised him up. So I think the thing that the church needs to really understand on the testimony of Cy Rogers is that God chooses who he chooses and who he chooses defy our expectations of what qualifies a person on a worldly scale. Remember what Cy said in jest in one of his teachings of how, um, you know, he went to go speak for a church and the pastor who had him there at his church, you know, said to him like, you know, I really, I really wouldn't care to have you here if it weren't for that anointing on your life. Because it was, he was so put off by size history and his topic and his affect, but he couldn't deny the anointing on his life. Right. And so I remember Sai saying, you know what, if you don't like it, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just go and get back to my global ministry that God has given me. And it was just like this, this reality of, you know, God gives God gives and he raises up who he chooses to raise up. And I think the only qualification it takes is whether you're willing to surrender to him. That's, I think, the lesson we can learn. 
yeah one, one powerful lesson we can learn um he actually has a series called lesson what is the lessons learned lessons yeah. learned <laughs> volume one and two yeah and we you and i watched you and i watched lessons learned how many times oh my gosh hundreds of times i could quote him yeah yeah so right before he passed away i had actually had his book on my desk because mm. i was trying to get like ideas and thoughts and reflections and just um encouragement because that's what you know you could always go and get encouraged you would leave encouraged if you listened to him or you read him and um yep. and so this was on my desk and when i found out that he passed away i was just right and i felt we felt it yeah and i was not close to him at all i mean we met him a couple times and we did the the seminar but you still felt it yeah because like you said it's the you know the the har the harvest is plentiful the laborers are few yeah and um and the testimony of of endurance and perseverance that's not common today right so it just was like ah like you said doing this type of ministry is hard sometimes it's lonely um there's a lot of persecution that comes with it and but yet there's that solidarity and that fellowship that we can have that we're peers. Yeah. And so when he, when he passed away, it was, it was a big, it was a big hit. And I think we did all feel it. That's, that's so true. And you can see that in all the tributes on Facebook and on like just person after person who, who recount the impact of this man's presence on this earth and, and how individually and corporately he ministered to people. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I spent some time reflecting over the last time that Sai and I got to interact and it was, I feel really privileged because I think it was the last time any of us from Portland actually got to spend time with him. He had been speaking at a church in Vancouver, Washington, and he called me and asked if I wanted to get breakfast and if I could drive him to the airport afterwards. And I thought, I mean, one of my heroes has just asked me to come to breakfast with him. Like, I'm not going to turn that down. Right. And, you know, I, that he even remembered who I was. Number one felt like, <laughs> right. How do you have my number? Cy Rogers, you know, it's like, but it was such a, such a huge blessing. And I remember sitting with him and, and one of the most difficult decisions of my life I was facing um, and had no idea our conversation would turn to it. And yet he gave me so much insight into God's character and so much, so much freedom to believe that I heard the voice of the Lord in this mm -hmm. and so much affirmation into the path that the Lord was leading me on. And it all happened in the context of a breakfast just sitting with him um, at the Heathman Lodge in in Vancouver, Washington, and then once again dropped him off at the airport and saw him off and just thought how privileged I was to have spent time with such a good man of God and a hero of mine and that I got to actually, I don't know, receive that wisdom. Right. So that was the last time I got to spend time with Sai. And then the, 
And then over the years, she's just contacted us a few times and like we've interacted online a few times, but I mean, he was such, such a powerful presence. And, you know, at the conference that we did in Portland, in Beaverton with Portland Fellowship, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor down in Medford, Oregon now, and we have this whole team down here and, and some of the people from Medford, from the church I'm a part of now came up to actually serve at that conference. Right. They were manning the product table and just helping out. They were, they were the grunt workers of our conference. And I kid you not, Cy Rogers had, had over the years kept in touch with a few of them, just checking on them online. Yeah. Remembering who they were, saying specific things about their life. He had maybe minutes of interaction with these people. Right. And they were in tears this week just right. because of the impact and the personable nature of this man that he communicated the love and the intentionality of God in a way, not just in what he taught, but how he lived and how he related. Yeah. So yeah, we feel the loss of that. Mm -hmm. And I have been sitting with that and feeling challenged by the Lord mm -hmm. of, you know, I have no illusions in my own life of being the next Cy Rogers. There is never going to be the next Cy Rogers. There's only one, there will only be one. But if I can leave even the, the slightest impression on people like he left, yeah, that would be a worthy aim. Yeah. Well, it's like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Hearing that he passed away, I felt it. And I went to the Lord just to talk to him about it. I have this running joke that I'm always like, don't leave me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I got rejection issues. <laughs> right. You know, my, my mother's a drug addict. My father got killed. I had two lesbian moms. I got rejection issues. And so I'm like, every, anytime I love someone, I'm like, don't leave me. <laughs> so Drew, when you moved to, to Medford, I said, Drew, don't, don't leave, leave me, Drew. Me, Drew. <laughs> I got rejection issues. Don't do this to me. <laughs> so when Cy passed away this past week, I literally went to my, to my prayer closet and was like, Cy, don't leave me. Lord, why you why you took side from us? You you took him right when we we're going through this coronavirus crisis, leaving us here. I got rejection issues. <laughs> Don't take these people away. Anyway, but the Lord was so faithful to encourage me because He brought me to Psalm ninety, where it just says, "Teach us to realize the brevity of life, so that we may grow in wisdom." Yeah, and that was God's challenge to me: is that yeah. we're not promised tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. Yeah, and while I'm here, pursue wisdom, yes. pursue wisdom. And that was a challenge that the Lord gave to me in my prayer closet while, while I was complaining to him about Cy leaving me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the encouragement for all of us. Yeah. Is there's teach us to number our days. There's yeah. brevity in this life. Yeah. And how are we walking today in his fullness? How are we loving today? How are we loving him well? How are we loving others well? Because all yeah. we have right now is just today. That's right. That's right. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. We have no guarantee when our number is up. And when our number is up, our legacy that we live it leave is it. Yes. That's it.
Yes. And um, that's such a good word, Cynthia. And I, I, I felt that too. I don't have the same abandonment rejection <laughs> as you do, but I was like, sign no, don't, don't leave. Me. And I think because it's the we're in quarantine and it's coronavirus, yeah. it, it just it just hit it just hit a different way because we're fa- we were we've been faced with our mortality since this whole thing has happened. It's been really an intense process for all of us, and we've been grieving and isolating. Yeah. And at the same time, I think it's a poignant time for the Lord to take him home. I think it's, you know, I just see the Lord's sweetness in that. Yeah. Yeah. There was so, I think it, what you said was true that this happening during this quarantine, all of our distractions and our coping mechanisms, I think a lot of them are gone. And so I think that I know that I was able to feel this loss in a way that I wouldn't have if normal life had been going on. So I don't know. I think that maybe even that's a form of honoring Sai of just being able to feel it. I absolutely agree with that. And in Hebrews, you know, it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. Yeah. So that we have a great cloud of witnesses. And because of that, continue to run the race and persevere. Yeah. With endurance. And so that's he 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 left me (laughs) but you know what i got a commission and a call like you said to move and run the race yep because we have a great cloud of witnesses there's jesus and all the saints that are just cheering us on to to the end so that we can continue to be faithful in our walk with the lord that's right that's right (laughs) and now he's one of them yeah i think that the last thing i would say um about Cy Rogers is that I really loved that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a thousand memories that Susan and I could go to. Uh, I know things that probably wouldn't be significant to other people, but it, he was just such a personable, lovable, amazing guy. And I know that like watching some of the media response, there's been, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. there's always people, there's always haters, but it drives me crazy because even just the little that we got to relate to him and know him, we knew his character. We knew who he was. And I think the thing that I'd want to say more than anything is that that was a man of God. That was a man who draw who drew people closer to Jesus and he will be greatly missed. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Drew, for sharing your heart today and for paying an honorable tribute to a great man of God. We're going to end on a clip that Cy Rogers himself shares about how he wants to be remembered. What do you want your legacy to be? My legacy? Gee, that's such a big, rich word. I don't know that I'm deserving of that, that I would actually leave a legacy. But if I were to leave a legacy, I think it would be I, I, I want to have encouraged people toward God, that I was genuine and the real deal, uh, in whom there was nothing false, and that in spite of all of my handicaps, um, God transcended that, and that people were brought near God as a consequence. I want, I say it, I want to live to make God rich. I want God to have been happy with me, that he made the effort to redeem me, 
and employ me. Um, I want people to have been encouraged, even if they don't remember the details of all that blather that makes up my lengthy seminar <laughs> packages and all my multi-word torrent that is a sermon. Uh, even if they don't remember the details, I want them to walk away with the flavor. I want them to have been encouraged in God, challenged, encouraged, brought near Him. Uh, what more can a Christian worker do um, than to be a reflection of God's character to people and to be a, a um, attraction to God's character, an advocate on God's behalf? I want to have done that. That if in 20 years from now, or 100 years from now, or 200 years from now, people comment on what I did, that's what it will be. Um, I encouraged people in God and to want God more and put God first and love Him most. Thank you so much for joining us in this dialogue. Stay tuned for more podcasts where we have conversations about biblical sexuality that are rooted in truth and love. Send topic requests or contact us at our website, www.alivingletter.org. Thank you.